Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher bakar bim ve'im tovim ve'ratzah ve'divrehim haneh emarim ve'emet. Baruch atah Adonai haboker b'torah uv'moshe avdo uv'yisrael amo uv'in vi'e ha'emet v'zedek. Bizkut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Haftarah Get You Some with Shomer and Chasis. And it is Parsha Vayakel, special Shabbat coming up this week. And it is Shabbat Shekelim, a.k.a. the Shabbat of our atonement money. So pay up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, anyway, to get back on a serious note, Chasis and I have something very special to say to our rabbi. One, two, three. Happy birthday, birthday. Rabbi. Shouts out to Rebbe Lapid, the Lapider Rebbe. Um, Rabbi Legit, Rebbe, get you some. Rabbi, oh my goodness. Rabbi, what's wrong with you? All of the above. That's our our beloved Rabbi. So just uh, shouts out to him. You know, we get two birthdays over here in the diaspora. So uh, Baruch Hashem. And uh, yeah, hashtag Brent Gregorian right. calendar. <laughs> yes, hashtag Gregorian calendar. This is life with two calendars. <laughs> All right, so back to business we roll. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Hasis now because this is a hefty uh, Hafta Rapar Shah. So, and one, two, three, off to the race we go. I broke a sham. So I'll uh, just start out with a little bit about uh, so one of our two main characters here. We have uh, the Cohen Gadol, uh, Um and he was um, the one in charge of, of saving the divinic line in this story. Uh, and it says, when, from Sefer Olam Rabbah, 18, says, when the ruination began in the days of Somo, uh, Yada, who was the remedy of the situation, was born. And after the death of Yehoda'ah, the priest, Yoash made himself a deity. Mm. And so we'll, we'll touch on that as the half-tour continues. And it mentions that if Aaron from Kohelet Rabbah, one four says, if Aaron had been alive in the generation of Yehoda, Yehoda would have been greater than he at the time. Man. So just kind of to set forth this guy's level, Aaron's the one who's known as the the pursuer of Shalom and such a high uh, status, such a great tzaddikim, and this guy is said to be greater than if they would have been the same generation. Good night. And we'll go to our next character, the king. This will be Yoash. And this is the question from Yushlami Horyot, 11b, says, Why was Yosh anointed? Since he was a king, he, he didn't have to be anointed. He inherited the kingdom. But he was only anointed because he had to seize the power from Atalia. Ah, there's that. Essentially, the uh, Telim 27 uh, hints at these two, these two people. It says, When he will protect me in his shelter, this refers to Yoash, who is hidden, as we'll see. Uh, to be saved, 
And then he would lift me on a rock, refers to Yehoyada, the priest, who is as strong as a rock. Mm. So interesting. Uh, also mentions um, later, later on. Well, we might save that for the end. Okay. Okay. Save that for the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's going to background as uh, Shoma Man has mentioned. This is a special parsha, so it's not the, um, I guess, regular reading uh, for Rachel. Uh, we are in Parshat Shechelim, so the half tour changes, which is in Second Kings 11, 11 to 12. And so in, in these months, during this time that, that Perm and Pesach falls around, the months of Adar and Nisan, there's these four special passages, and they're referred to as Arba Parshiyot. And they're, they're uh, read, and, and each of these parshas has this special half tour that goes along with it the special reading for these days. And they're really there to prepare us for um, this 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 light that we, the spiritual light we receive on by celebrating Purim and Pesach. And so we have, this is the first of those, uh, Parshat Shechlim. This is read on Rosh Chodesh Adar. Um, and you say, well, hey, well, it's Ari Adar. Well, we're in a leap year. And so in a leap year, uh, we go before uh Rosh Chodesh Adar Beit Adar Two, and the second one would be Parsha Zachor. This is read the Shabbos before Purim, and then we have Parsha Para, which is read on the Shabbos before um, Parsha Hakodesh, and then we have Parsha Hakodesh, which is read on the Shabbat before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, or on Rosh Chodesh Nisan if it falls on Shabbat. And so, so there's what's that? So basically, we have the four special Shabbats leading us into the month of Nisan. Mm-hmm. Nisan and Adar and the festivities of Purim and Pesach. Wow. And so just interesting, you kind of go back to the whole idea of how when Torah was banned, you know, the rabbis instituted the reading of the half Torah. And it's just interesting that, you know, they had these the half Torahs and be like, hey, this isn't the usual half Torah. You know, after hearing this for a while, and they'd be like, "Oh, you know," in case they may have lost track of the calendar, they have these half Torahs to keep them along. If that were to ever happen, I'm not saying it has or didn't, but they'd be like, "Oh, hey, uh, Perm's coming up," <laughs> you know, or "Hey, you know, Pesach's coming up." Man, I'm telling you, when it comes to Judaism, the Chazal are just absolutely ridiculous with all the safeguards, like. If you forget what Torah portion it is, because you haven't been studying the Torah portions, because you're studying the Haftarahs, you know what the Torah portion is. And now you're saying, if you don't even know what time of the year you're in, if you're having these special Haftarah coming up, then you know it's about to be Purim and Pesach. Like, that's amazing. It's a safeguard. It's it's all about remembrance. And Bizarre Hashem will touch on that concept here in a little bit. Um... But uh, we kind of go back to why do we read this? Um, it's uh, Parsha Shekhalim, which is the beginning Parsha of Kitiza. It actually instructs us in the midst of donating coins valued at half a shekel to the Behemikdash. And it was performed annually as long as this Behemikdash would exist. Of course, we don't have that today. Um, 
But on, on the first of Adar, the Beit Deen would actually send out these messengers to every town in Eretz Israel, and they'd remind every male who was over the age of 20 to prepare a coin. And so the people would hand their coins somewhere between the, uh, the tenth of Adar and the first of uh, Nisan. And beginning in Nisan, this money was used to purchase communal offerings, such as your Tamid offering and Musaf offerings for, for that whole year. And any surplus money was actually used to prepare the Beha Mikdash and, you know, um, for such of that. So today, like I said, we don't have uh, a Beha Mikdash, but we still have certain these, these customs that we do. And so one of these customs is reading of this Haftorah. And it's really to remind us of the procedure that was practiced in the time of the Beha Mikdash. And so it's incredible. You, you look at uh, Judaism compared to every other culture and how you know you can trust that it hasn't changed is because it is just that. It's a tradition. And every little action um, from down to the, the tiniest uh, halakha to the, the reading of the, the portion to little uh, uh, customs that we have, it's all there to remind us of the past, to remind us of that identity that we had to keep this this chain of tradition from Sinai going. Man. Well, you got to work really hard if you want to make stuff up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, this is definitely not anything that can be made up. Like, wow. This this interesting on this this whole half, half circle thing. Uh, the midrash actually explains since we're coming up on Purim. Midrash explains that Hashem knew that in the month of Adar, Haman would offer King uh, Achshashrosh ten thousand kikyar of silver in exchange for royal permission to annihilate Jewish people. And so, in anticipation for this, Hashem commanded a thousand years before this this even happened that every Jew should donate. A, uh, coins to the Be'ah Mikdash in the month of Adar, the same month. And this, the merit of this would nullify the evil effects of Haman's generous offer. <laughs> and so, just as Haman's decree included every category of Jew, Kohen, Levi, and Israel, rich as well as poor, so too every Jew was equally commanded to redeem himself with coins. Good night. And so, you see this in this half tour that comes up. Uh, King uh, Yoshiahu issued this special decree concerning the half shekel donations and namely that it be used to repairing the Beit HaMikdash. <laughs> and so it's just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, Hashem remembers as it were something that's going to happen in the future. Mm. And so he, <laughs> he tells us something to do now that we don't really understand. You know, Moshe was bewildered. He's like, why a half shekel? What's the importance of this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. And, you know, he, he showed him this fiery shekel from under his throne. And it just, like, he like hinting that he showed him the, the glory and the splendor that this was for. And sometimes we don't understand uh, things that we're going through or things we have to do or things we're obligated to do. Um, but we should do them. Amen. Because Hashem has our best intentions in, in mind, just like with this. They didn't know, they're okay, that this was going to redeem them in the future. And that's how it is with our mitzvahs. You know, okay, well, tell me I'm, I'm wrapping the tefillin every day. Most of us, you know, don't, don't see 
uh, generally an instant effect of that. But, you know, in the Alam Haba, you know, we are going to see these rewards and they're going to be astounding. Know so, that, believe that, and trust that. Invest in your mitzvahs. <laughs> time is money. <laughs> That's true. Mitzvah time. Right. Mitzvah time is money time. No, but <laughs> this whole idea of, of memory, it's something so so beautiful and engraved in, in, uh, in Jewish culture, in, in Torah culture, if you will. Um, and this whole idea of, of accessing and utilizing memory is actually one of the greatest weapons that we have in our arsenal to defeat evil, period. And um, I'm kind of explain what I mean by that in a moment, but you look at this, this whole idea of the act of remembering. Um, most of us who've kind of came into to this faith or converted to Judaism or uh, Balshuvas or, or converts, whatever have you, um, you know, came into this idea of remembering. Remember the Shabbat, right? Once, right. once, if you came out, especially out of Christianity or something of the sort, you know, you've been taught that you don't really get taught so much on the Sabbath, but you know, the holy day is the quote unquote holy day is Sunday, right? Mm. But when you remember, you, you read those passages about the Shabbat being the seventh day and you remember that all these, these early quote unquote Christians were not Christians, they're actually Jews. And you remember if you go back in time to the ultimate identity, these were all Jewish, Orthodox Jewish followers who believed in Yeshua and they all kept the Sabbath on the seventh day. And so literally this is a way of entering in the idea of remembering it's such a huge weapon against the enemy who's trying to make us forget of our true origins. You know, also, you know, this whole idea of remembering, you kind of think back to um, we were all taught uh, Torah in the womb when we were children, okay. and so the idea of learning Torah—it's not really learning anything new. It's 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 learn it's remembering what we are once taught, and that mm. makes it a lot easier for us. That's why we're drawn to it. We're drawn to truth. Um, and you know this whole idea of you think about um, there's like uh, mentions Yosef, and he was when he was about to sin with a uh, wife of Potiphar. He remembered his his father, and he remembered his mother, and it, and it stopped him from sinning. Right. You know, it's 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 an incredible. You look at all these different parallels, and um, just this this whole idea. When you remember, it's like you're you're drawing back in your mind. It's kind of it's this entering paradox. You're drawing back in your mind to shoot an idea towards the forefront of your mind. So you kind of have this idea. It's almost like the weapon of a, a bow, right? You're pulling back Ooh. in order to shoot something forward. Man. And interesting, that's the whole blessing that Yosef was blessed with. Come on. You know, is is mentioned him as, as this archer. And what did he do? He remembered every single thing that happened to him. But he used that memory not to attack his brothers, he used it to put them through situations in order that they might be redeemed. Get you some. You know, and so, um, might take a, uh, a shameless plug right quick Do to it. talk about these six things. Since we are talking about memory, let's talk about the six things that Torah requires us to remember. All right. 
So we got the remembrance of the exodus from Egypt. One. The, re- the remembrance of receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. These are all things that the Torah explicitly commands. Dose. You know. Um, so, and then we have the remembrance of Amalek's attack, Amalek's attack. Terrific. Then we have the remembrance of the golden calf, the remembrance of Miriam, and finally the remembrance of Shabbat. Six. And so these are the six things that were required to remember. Mm. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting to look at them because half of them, they all seem to deal with something that's um, like like positive. You know, you have the excess, we embrace freedom. Yay. You have received freedom yet again. It says, do not read the word engraved, read freedom. You <laughs> Two know? freedoms, I love it. Two freedoms. And then we have Shabbat, which is freedom. freedom. <laughs> you know? And 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 all that it's this idea of, of redemption and, and rest and coming close to Hashem. And then you have this negative side to us. Uh oh. To not to, well to the six remembrance, you have Amalek's attack. Right? People went outside of the cloud of glory. Mm-hmm. They they sinned, right? It was it was actually a conque- consequence of Israel's failure to study Torah with sufficient zeal, according to Tehuma. Ooh. And and so what happened was Amalek attacked us when we're weak. Yep. And so this is a bad memory, you know, but we're called to remember it. And there's also the golden calf. That's also a bad memory. Very bad. <laughs> you know, um, and then you have the, the case of Miriam, which, you know, remember wow. what says, remember that which Hashem your God did to Miriam on the way when you're leaving from Egypt. Good night. And you kind of kind of look at that, and you have these six remembrances, and six is also the the vav, right? And we talk about that being man. Come on. And so I think there's there's this kind of hint of how we're supposed to live our lives. That um, when it really comes down to it, um, just a little side note: we have you ever seen those movies where people uh, they they get a head trauma, they lose all their memory from their entire life. Mm-hmm. Are familiar with all these these shows? Oh yeah. And they, they, they say, "What did they lose?" Ooh. They said they they lose their identity. Wow. Why? Because our our identity is wrapped up in our memories. It's wrapped up in these experiences, uh, both good and bad. Right. That makes us who we are. And so Hashem calls us to remember like these memories. Half of them, half of these these fond great memories that that appeal to our our mission and our closeness to him. And half of these memories are of our shortcomings and failures. Now, and I think what's that? Now we've had so much momentum and I'm pulling the emergency <laughs> brake button. Okay. Because what you said is very monumental, very relevant to what is happening in the world today for the widespread epidemic of what is called identity crisis. Mm, yes. You just literally solved world peace. Identity crisis, if people would just go back and remember, then that would solve a lot of issues. But yes. we're programming and putting out all this stuff, uh, propaganda, media, whatever you want to call it. Don't don't do those kind of things. Don't be all old fashioned. Don't be all like remembering the Old Testament. Get that out of here. It's like, okay, well, identity crisis. That's why you have it. So what you just said, if you know your identity, it's based off of your remembrance and your memory. Yes. 
anyway, you can go back. I just that was I don't know. I'm in. That's, that's that's that was uh you know the point this whole idea of that that memory and accessing and utilizing it that's like this weapon it's like that that bow that we get to shoot against all these things coming against us you know I mentioned Yesharim it's written that uh, Pharaoh is representative of the Yetzahara and what did he do he wanted to make the people uh, too tired to think about God too tired to remember their obligations uh, to Torah and Mitzvot and. You know, um, just coming back to this whole idea, you've got half good, half bad of these memories. And I think there's to teach us um, a lesson of following this kind of uh, middle road. Like, don't be so down that mm-hmm. you, you don't feel like you can come close to a shim. You still have these three positive memories, right? But then you've got these three negative ones. It's like, don't feel like you're, you're so good that you're above reproach. Man. And that you are you are divine just like a shim, and we're gonna to touch on that in our half tour bizarre shims. Um Judaism does kind of, teach the middle road is the best. <laughs> yes. Narrow middle road. Narrow path. That is exactly what that means. But you know, it, it is kind of unique that um just a quick little point on this, that all the positive ones, it's all about entering into covenant. Ooh. You know, you have the Torah. You're given the Torah, you're given like the Exodus and all the things that deal with Pesach, like partaking the Pesach lamb usually involves like you have to be circumcised to eat of it. It's about coming into covenant, right? That's right. And, you know, you have the, the, the Sabbath, right? This is, this is a sign between me and the nation of Israel. It's all about coming into covenant. And then you look at the negative signs and you look at Amalek where they went outside the the outside of the cloud of glory, outside of the covenant, and they were attacked. You look at the golden calf, and really what, what it came down to is they lost faith in the Sadiq. They lost faith in the Mashiach. They thought Moshe was dead and there was no more. So they built a new mediator. You know, uh, Miriam, the same case, they, she lost faith in, in Moshe, this picture of, of the Mashiach. You know, and she thought he was uh, doing something wrong. Man, and so just kind of you know remember, remember how how you've fallen, and remember all of you have faith in my ability to redeem you, and my ability to even if you're going through something hard right now, something difficult right now, that's meant as an atonement for you. Yes. So just just like the uh, the shekel, you know, we didn't know what we were putting in, but it was there to to redeem us from a future evil. Wow. Well. All right. So this, this <laughs> thing of remembrance will be in play. Um, as we go through this half tour. All right. So into our half tour. We have um, Atalia. Um, she, she's one of these characters who, who it really starts off with. And she was actually the daughter of the idolatrous king Ahav and um, uh, Ye- Isabel, you know? What? And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, uh, you know, last tour, last uh, half tour, we were getting into Eliyahu versus uh, Ahav and, you know, this kind of battle between Baal and, and Hashem, if you will. Evil versus, versus good, if you will. <laughs> and so it's like this continuation, almost like this continuation of the story. Here's here's the daughter who is just a completely wicked woman. And we mentioned her 
um, I think in the one of the last half tours, and she was one of the four women who was granted this privilege of ruling over the world, along with Isabel and and her. And it mentions that uh, two other uh, Gentile Gentile women, you know, Vashti and um, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, and they were actually allowed to rule because these two Jewish women, uh, Atalia and Isabel, used abused their powers, and so that allowed the, the these Gentile women to come and in, come into and afflict um, punishment on Bnei Israel and the world. Good. You know? Because when you attack Israel, you you attack the foundation of the world. Right. But it's it's uh it's kind of this huge just family drama, if you will. <laughs> because Atalia, when her husband died and her son Ahazia was um was killed by uh Yahu, who's the king of Israel at the time. Uh, Atalia was unwilling to yield the throne to her daughters-in-laws or her grandson. And so what she went through, she therefore cold-bloodedly murdered every single offspring in the house of David Ooh. by poison, um, just just other methods, usurping the throne of Yehuda for the next six years. Well, okay then. And so she went on this, this killing spree. She said, I'm going to have that, the throne. You know, she forgot why, why she was in power in the first place. Mm-hmm. And she started pursuing all these things that she was not meant to pursue as, as, uh, as a, a Jewish woman. Wow. So we get this, this backstory um, of, of how if she killed every offspring of David, how did uh, this king survive? How did Yoash survive? <laughs> and it was due to really this Kohen Gadol, Yehoiada. Um, and, and just background, Yoash was actually Atalia's baby grandson. Oh. And so she was obviously trying to kill him as well, but he was concealed. Oh, and where have we seen that before? Yes. <laughs> It gets better. And his wife, Yehoshiva, um, and the Kohen Gadol, he was this great Sadiq, and he remained loyal to the house of David. Um, his his wife was the former king of Urim's daughter, and she was the aunt of the baby. And so she took a firm stand against her stepmother, Atalia, putting her life in danger to save this infant and this rightful heir to the David, Davidic line. And so, our uh, Haftar refers to the this infant and future king as Yohash, uh, but and you you have in in the chronicles we find his name is missing the hey Yosh, which is related to de- to uh, despair, and this is the hint to us that during this time period everyone despaired of anyone surviving in David's family. Wow. And, you know, that's the same thing we had with the golden calf. You know, they despaired at, at Moshe. He's, he's gone. He's a goner. And we should never despair. That's, that's one thing we should, we should never do, period, is stay, stay away from that. There's always hope. Little side note. Um, but also, the, the hey added to his name hints at his, his righteousness that he was a Sadiq. Um, and so, anyways, the, the Kohen Gadol, he concealed the infant, 
And where did he conceal her? This this was the king, the queen who ruled over like the world, according to the Gemara, you know. And so, how where could he conceal her? <laughs> and so it mentions that he concealed her in the upper story of the Beit Hamikdash, where above the Kodesh Hakodeshim, the Holy of Holies. Oh. And. Uh, according to uh, some commentaries, some opinions, it was, she actually he, they actually hid him in the the holy of holies. <laughs> <laughs> so, either way you want to look at it, there's there's a connection with the kodesh kodeshim, this holy of holies. Um, and I guess uh, you can make an allusion to hidden above the holy of holies, maybe allusion to uh, the the holy of holies in the spiritual realm. Good. So here you you have this this concealed child of David, who's the last child of David, who's high, who's who's within, related to, associated with the holy of holies. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to go with the opinion that he was hit in the upper chamber, right directly above it, and so only only once in the seven years these workers were actually permitted to make uh, repairs to that area. And so after six years, the Kohen Gadol, Yehoyada, brought the young boy out of hiding. Oh, and man. You know, could be, could, could no longer conceal him because the workers had to make repairs. Um, but there's this joyful public ceremony that was held where Yosh was actually crowned as the rightful king. And it's interesting because he was anointed with the, the Shemin HaMashiach, this, the anointing oil, um, to establish his kingdom without a doubt, as I mentioned earlier. And there's this interesting story about this royal crown that was reserved just for the Davidic dynasty. It was placed on his head. And this crown had this miraculous quality. Um, do you remember when uh, David put on Saul's armor and they thought it was going to be too big for him, but it fit him anyway? Right. You know, it's, it's the same idea as that story. Um, it said this, this crown, it had this miraculous quality and it was fashioned out of a, this a kikiar of gold. It was set with a large, sparkling diamond. It was never. It was heavy. It was extremely heavy. And an ordinary person, the average Joe, would be unable to bear its weight. <laughs> and it's mentioned, you know, kind of like um, the Captain America's shield, or sorry, no, no, um, Thor's hammer, yeah. you know, the mighty Hobbit's hammer. Um, like only he could pick it up, or anyone who was worthy could pick it up. <laughs> And right. it's the same idea, because only a descendant of David was able to wear it in spite of its heaviness. Ooh. And so it was a testimony to the bearer's right to the throne. Well, and you got to think, this is, it's heavy for, it's too heavy for an ordinary person. And here's this, this like, seven-year-old kid, six- to seven-year-old kid who, who wears it with ease. Right. <laughs> And so the people are ecstatic. They're clapping their hands and joyfully sounding, you know, long live the king. Uh, and, you know, Atalia heard all this commotion and she appeared to find out its cause. And But Yehoda, it was actually a trick from uh, Yehoyada. And he'd taken precautions and he actually set all these soldiers to arrest her. And upon his orders, she was led out of the Behemikdash and put to death in her own palace. Wow. And so this is where the half tour begins. It begins at this, this juncture um, and goes in real strong start off, uh, according to a Sephardic reading at 1117, where this kingdom is restored. Um, 
that you know that there's a covenant made that people should no longer serve idols. Um, they should serve a shim. It mentions that they came to the temple of the Baal and demolished it. Remember last half tour, there's you know, Eliyahu says this famous line: "How long, how long, you know, will you will you waver between two opinions? Right. Serve God or serve Baal?" And here they are; they make that choice, wow. and they slew Matan, the chief priest of Baal, in front of the idolatrous altars. Um, he, uh, the Kongodol Yohayada, anointed the Konim, restored their their duties that Queen Atalia put it into. Um, you know, he he just restores this whole house and the whole Behemek. That's the whole process gets this facelift, if you will, by a seven year old. Well, this is this is a Kongodol. Oh, now, Yohayada. Yeah, okay. this is Yohayada who's who's leading leading this charge, but. Um, he really gets this power in a sense because there's this one surviving line of David, which would be uh, Yehoash. Wow. And so, interesting, interesting um, idea. So he was, it mentions Yehoash was seven-year-old when he began to rule, and he ascended the throne the seventh year of uh, Yah- uh, Yahus, the king of Israel's reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. Um, <laughs> mentions that his his first names, firstly there are the names interesting correspond to a Shim's name, mm-hmm. and he ruled for a total of four years like King David, and and these letters and his name hint that he was uh, to point to his righteousness. Wow. Yeah, and it, they're like this tag team duo, you know, the Kohen Gadol Yehoyada, who was like his mentor, and then King Yehoash. Uh, um, they ruled, they, they helped eliminate idolatry. Well, you know, I know it's kind that? of a swerve, but just have to say when you're talking about them being a duo, that you look at both of their names together, the first three letters are the same. And the last letters of their names, if you put them together is H dot. Wow. <laughs> Which is the fiery law that Hashem gives from his right hand. Oh, that is incredible. <laughs> Devarim 33-2. Brook Shem. So, um, with, with that, you know, it's, it seems all, it's all hyped up, and, but there's this, this criticism that's, that's mentioned in there. It says, Yehoash did what was right in Hashem's eyes all the day that Yehoyada, the Kohen, instructed him. And so it's it's kind of hinting that he only did what was right when his teacher was there. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening was um, after his teacher passed, the these uh, princes came to him. They prostrated themselves before him and they flattered him. And you know they said, "Your Majesty is certainly a divine being." Um, any human who enters the Kodesh HaKodeshim is in mortal danger while you survive there for six years. Ooh. And so they pumped up his head and he began to be along the same lines of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Pharaoh, and Hiram. We mentioned those guys um, who thought they were divine as well. And mm. all of them suffered extreme humiliation and stuff that you know i don't even want to mention on this podcast um because oh. of this idea okay so, wow yeah it's, it's a little too gruesome yeah, um 
But yeah, just just definitely know we we talked about uh, arrogance before and how you should stray away from that trait as far as possible, and definitely don't go to the extent of saying that you're divine. <laughs> but don't do it. <laughs> you know, make it start with these fence laws. You know, don't covet honor, don't seek honor for yourself, and you don't break that fence. You won't go anywhere past that. Um, Get you some. But Leonard mentioned that on these private altars and twelve four private altars, which individuals offer sacrifices to Shem were not removed by the king. The people still sacrificed and burned on private altars, even though it was forbidden once the Beit Hamikdash was built. And so we mentioned this before that um, in last half Torah about these private altars, and it's kind of a interesting little little note. The midrash goes on to compare here. It says. Um, it's kind of surprising that all these righteous kings didn't abolish these private altars, and they go on to kind of explain why this is. And they compare it to, um, of course, there's a custom at the time of Beit Mikdash that one would offer a sacrifice in the morning before even sitting down to eat a meal. And this is uh, comparative to, uh, you know, some of the, the custom and the halacha today that before partaking of our meal, um, we we say uh, shachrit and we daven. Ken. And so anyone who didn't do that practice at the time of of making the offering before they ate um, was considered non-observant, Ooh. you know, lackluster in their observance level. And so they were worried that that the people wouldn't even go to the Behemekdash to offer sacrifices. Mm. And if they told them of this ruling, they would be guilty of willfully sinning. And and so they they put it off. They said, okay, well let's let's let them have the excuse. At least they're not willful willfully sinning. And they're also afraid of something even more dangerous, which would be the idolatry, because you had King uh, Yeravam, who set up these golden calves, and they thought they'd go to Dan or Beit El, where he set them up and worship them because they're closer. Mm. And you know it was their custom to sacrifice before they ate a meal. It was a it was a good thing, but. Sometimes good things can be uh, still be, you know, away from the will of Hashem and breaking His Torah. And so, man, you know, we we need to be mindful of of being aware of of what um, what Hashem calls for us to do. Even if we see it something right and something good, we need to be able to distinguish that. Come on, or listen to those who can. Man, this is why you need a Rebbe. Yes, and that's that's one of the the end notes. You know, the Pirkei uh, Avot says, "Make make yourself a Rabbi." Yeah, you know, make a Rav for yourself. That's right. Get you one. So super important to be in community and and submit yourself to authority. Let me just say uh, that I was listening to who I call Rabbi Left Hook. But his name is uh, Rabbi Yaron Reuven. And uh, if you listen to him, you'll know why he's Rabbi Left Hook. But to, to not further belay the point, he basically mentioned, this is just this week, that, you know, with our current generation, there's more and more suppression of, you know, remembrances and traditions, customs and things that have been handed down by the Chazal. And it's because people do not want to get themselves a rabbi. They start doubting things in the oral Torah and they become Sadducees. Mm. 
So Sadducees, by the way, are solo scriptura people. They are none like, I don't want to hear that Talmud stuff and I don't want to do any of that Jewish rabbi stuff. And uh, it's all because people do not want to have a rabbi. So, uh, well, it's more than that, but that's one of the big factors that people do not want to submit themselves to a rabbi who will help them and be a spiritual guide for them. Because it's important to know that Torah is, um, it's guided instruction is what Torah is. And you have to have a guide, not saying that if you don't have a rabbi, then you're, you have no faith, but it's, if you, if you don't have a rabbi, it's really hard to really decipher and, and keep yourself on a, on a straight and narrow path. So community, a rabbi. Uh, bait Dean, you need those kinds of things because if not, you turn into a lone wolf who drives off the cliff and crashes and burns. That's true. You know, we we can't ever um, like o- overestimate our our own abilities. You know, that's right. Uh, you know, people people can criticize Yosh for him him turning away towards the end, but you know, it mentions you know having power and having wealth there's a huge temptation in that. And so if you're setting yourself by yourself and that's, that's all you're doing, then it's just your knowledge and you're setting yourself up to be this, this huge king and say, I'll be all of everything. And you are doomed to fail. You know, you're doomed to turn away. You know? yep. Unfortunato. So, and in most cases, you know, um, so, Where or, you, you know, you can, you know, there's Abraham who was there, but even he had some guidance from some of his friends. But well, let's not forget Melchizedek. There's that too. Because, you know, really, if you look at who was uh, Abraham's Rebbe, first it, first of all, it was Noach and Shem and Ever. And furthermore, in order for him to get to where he was able to be a king, priest, and prophet, it was definitely under Melchizedek, who again is Shem. So uh, mm-hmm. even Abraham wasn't a lone wolf. Yeah, so. that's true. And his advice from uh, Mamre, the circumcision, all that. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's also what it mentions in that, that Avot, you know, make and uh, pick up a one six, you know, make a rap for yourself. Also in that same area, you know, get, acquire yourself a friend. That's right. So okay. it goes on, it goes on talking about this. Um, he wanted to restore the Beha Mikdash and possibly because he, he felt indebted to it. Cause he was, that's a place where he was concealed and saved. Mm. You know, it, it was because he was in, in that room, the upper chamber, right, right above the, uh, Kodesh Kodashim that he was spared from death. Man. <laughs> um, so there's, there's that idea. Um, so he wanted to dedicate um, the, uh, the repairing of the temple. And so it, it mentions, it mentions verse 6, let each con take from it his acquiescence and with, let him repair the damage of the house, whatever damage, wherever damage is found. And so he ordered that all the half-shekel coins and other money coming in should be used exclusively for the repairing of the Behamekdash. And so it's this question, how did they get the money for communal offerings if this was solely going for the construction of the Behamekdash? How? There's these two ideas that, you know, during these these six years of Atalia's reign, um, people were negligent in giving. 
and it all went to idol worship. All their money went to idol worship. And so it, it was an act of Teshuvah. They repaid even what they owed for those past six years. Good night. And, you know, that, that's something, you know, that the, the Torah requires us to do to make, like, proper teshuva. You know, we're required to pay back in whatever form that comes what we owe due to our past negligence or sins. And so if we're suffering, hey, that's could be a good thing because in most cases it means that Hashem is accepting your teshuva and this is this the process of redemption, the, the, the scales that have to be balanced, if you will, wow. so that you can further acquire merit and not be in debt as far wow. as uh, uh, merit and mitzvahs go. But the other idea was that um, that they donated animals along too with, with the coins. And so the animals would go um, toward the additional uh, Corbin and all that. <laughs> so there, there's this other question that comes up, and it's it mentions that after, you know, all these years, 23 years, that there's there's nothing done. Like, this didn't work. Yeah. And it's like, what, did they get lazy? What happened here? And there's these, these two things that the Midrash says um, why the Konim un, did not fulfill the orders of the king. And one was this idea that Konim wanted voluntary offerings. And there's also this idea that um, it mentions that whatever they couldn't collect from the people, that uh, they would donate from their own earnings. And so there's this idea that, that the people may have been knowing about this and, that, and only the close friends of Konim would give, but the people said, oh, someone else... Someone else can pay for it. Oh, they, that means if I don't pay, they pay. And they started taking advantage of the oh, system. Oh, man. And so that's that's one idea. Um, the other idea is that um, they were unable, they were just unable to collect the funds. And all the burden was placed on just these people. And no one would just take, he didn't allow the, the people to take responsibility for themselves, as opposed to Mishkan, where you have this overabundance of giving that came from everybody and it's it doesn't go too much on the detail of this because it's a very embarrassing moment for israel mm. for you know for israel that we couldn't you know cough up so to say the funds to build this uh to repair the temple yeah. so there's no. this second way that he goes about and it, it mentions that he um he bores a hole in a chest and the lid of a chest and place it next to Mizbeach in the courtyard. And and so everyone saw, you know, this was like the uh, original Sadaka box. Come on. <laughs> you know, he, put, he put a little, little slit in there. Uh, it was like anti-theft in the old days, you know, oh. so they couldn't just bring money. But it, mentioned it was all voluntary offerings from the people. It was uh, like it, almost like uh, anonymous, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> Just, and things, once it became like this whole anonymous uh, giving that was done, you know, the it started just filling up. Mm. You know, it was filled to the brim day after day. And, you know, it's even mentioned, you know, this honesty that the Kongadol and the secretary, two people would go up, and it's just this idea of, of them keeping accountable. And since it was these two people, there would be no suspicion of foul play. Cool. But... It's just interesting because yes, there, there's this idea of um, of of test Hashem with your with your giving, 
Um, and that's so true. Like he, he will bless you, but there's also the idea that in order to be, to receive the full blessing of that, you have to abide by all the Holocaust of, of these ties and the sadaka that goes along with that. Amen. And when we do that, when we really research into all the halakha and what, what that takes for tithing and, and sadaka, then it gets filled to the brim every single day. And that's really the key to success. Cool. And so like you said earlier, and you know, like like Rabbi's fond of saying in a lot of his messages, it's just about like abiding in the oral Torah, listening to Chazal, uh, listening to all the halakha authorities because they passed down this chain for us so we don't have to go and, and try to make up our own rulings. Man. You know, that's what Ahaz did. You know, yes, that we talked did. about last time. And we see where that led. Yes. His bull didn't get burned. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this was a successful uh, move and... You know, it, it mentioned that all these repairs took precedence as opposed to new vessels and all these the extra funds um, that were given maybe from like an offering went to the Kalanim to use as a desired. So they got supported. Um, and there's just kind of I want to just kind of talk about ethlog about our two characters, because uh, there's kind of like this sad ending mm-hmm. that goes along with it. And we mentioned earlier. Uh, hinting at it, and well, we actually said it outright that he thought he was divine. He allowed himself to get puffed up and arrogant. Yeah. And unfortunately, he could have been, you know, one of the the greatest kings of as Israel if this wasn't uh, part of it. Um, but after his, you know, the Congo Dole, uh, he was he had like a hundred thirty years. He had was rewarded with the honorable burial place in the cemetery of all the Jewish kings because the nation benefited from, from him significantly. But after his death, there was this huge spiritual decline in Israel. And, you know, this is where um, Yehoash thought he was divine. And it's uh, you can start to see how all these people are intertwined because uh, Yehoiada's son was Zechariah. Prophet Zechariah. Wow. And he actually reproved, and keep in mind that his his nephew, Yehoash, is his nephew. Okay. And so Zechariah would reprove the people with uh, these fiery words because after he, he thought he was divine, um, the the princes of Yehuda actually reinduced, reintroduced idol worship into Israel. Oh. And so Zechariah comes along, the son of this great Kohen Gadol who's buried with the kings and like his father is just this lustrous guy who literally saved the king at the time, redeemed the people from Atalia and her wicked ways and slaughtering, essentially trying to trying to slaughter out the Mashiach because that's what you do when you try to eliminate David's line. Ooh. And here comes Zechariah. He's rebuking the people. Why? Because he wants them to repent. He wants them to receive the full blessing of attach himself to Hashem's ways and how he says to uh, to abide in his Torah. And it, it kind of goes to show you that uh, we talk about this idea of remembrance. And Yehoash, he, he was considered an ingrate mm. because he forgot, right? He, he did not remember the kindness that Zechariah's father, his uncle, did when he saved his life. Yikes. And, you know, it mentions that he was, he wanted to repair the temple because he was grateful 
because it was there was a place where he was saved. But it wasn't really the place that saved him. It was the person who saved him. Oh. It was a Congo doll and his, and 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 his his mother who put him there, who kept him there, who fed him while he was there. Oh my word. And so he attributed that to a very superficial uh, thing and, and to a material thing instead of to uh, his teacher, to his family. Wow. And so at the end of this year, the army of Aram attacked and humiliated Yosh so deeply that he was a he was forced to abandon his his preposterous claim to divinity. And at the very end, his servants, it was measure for measure because he had Zechariah uh, murdered. Um, he, he said, hey, stone him and because he didn't want to be rebuked. Right. Uh, not knowing that that was actually to his his betterment and the kingdom's about in betterment. Um, but his servants actually conspired against him and put him to death. Mm. And, and it just mentions this whole idea that he was only capable of self-control and righteousness as long as his Torah teacher was there. And, you know, um, when you go into talking about making yourself, it says make for yourself, make a rob for yourself. You know, there's also kind of this hint of, hey, you know, like, make 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 yourself into a rav and that doesn't mean you don't need one of course i'm not not saying that but make yourself into, into someone who's who's knowledgeable and who can build your own diligence and is accountable for your own actions and your own mitzvahs and that's not to say don't submit to someone to to an authority figure because you should but right. we should also be striving to develop our own self-accountability our own knowledge so that we may 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 serve a shim i mean and uh conscious and good conscience um, but it's, it's also this is nothing new to Yoash because this is this is what a lot of the kings if not all the kings struggled with um, and, and in most cases every single king struggled with this whole idea that when they lost their Torah teacher they fell into this temptation and the Midrash explains this idea and it asks this question poses this question as our, our sages and our rabbis often do and it says, why was the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash placed next to the Shulchan? Why? The Shulchan represents the Jewish kings, the menorah, the spiritual leaders. Oh. And so we're taught that a king needs the light of the sages and the prophets for illumination so he will not stray from the proper path. Um, I think there's also this lesson for us in that because, you know, because in, in all of us, we have this idea of a king, and we have this aspect to us that is um, like the sage and the prophet. Not to say that we are sages or prophets or kings, but there is an aspect of that in us because we're all in the body of Mashiach, who is both a priest and king, right? That's why we're a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of priests, right? That's a beautiful verse you quoted to, to support support this idea. It's amazing. Brookshem. Mm, and it's this idea that, you know, we're kings in the sense that we, we go out into the world and we work, we earn our livings, we support our homes, we make rulings for a house. Um, but especially the shokhan is like provision. That's where the bread was. Um, this whole idea of provision and, and your work, where you work, how you get your money. And then the whole idea of menorah, this is, you know, our mitzvah. This is our Torah. This is our mission in the world. Right, and we have to like not mix our our values 
You know, we, we can't allow the means, the shokhan, how we provide for life, become the goal, which is serving Hashem. You know, the mitzvah is not meant to be the goal to getting wealth. Wow. You know, it's not it's not meant to be like, oh, I, I'm going to I'm going to um, wash, wash my hands, be very diligent in this mitzvah because I want wealth, which is if you're very diligent in uh, the washing of hands, netzah yadayim. It's this idea that you're supposed to gain uh, uh, wealth, either in this world or the next. Um, but it's not this idea, or even of tithing, you know? I will bless you tenfold. You know, we shouldn't use the mitzvah as a means to acquire money. That's right. We're supposed to use our, our money as, 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 a, as a vehicle, as it were, to service him and honor him. And uh, now, as, as someone is at a uh, kind of... Um, I don't mean this rudely, but at a, at a low level, or they're very new to this walk, I guess would be a kind of way to put it, um, and that's what they're drawn to, then yeah, you, we, could, we could draw them in by that means. Hey, you're going to acquire wealth if you, if you do this. It's good for Panasa. You know, and they start doing the mitzvah, and eventually Torah changes them. Yep. It reconfigures their entire body, and then they start doing it for Hashem. And yep. so it's about just getting involved in that process. So even if you can't do it for the sake of Hashem, and Shemayim, and, and the kingdom, then just do it, and eventually you will. Well, it's so funny you say that because literally our very own Rabbi Griffin mentioned that in today's Aliyah. So, <laughs> talking about just doing a mitzvah because it leads to another mitzvah. So, so what if you get a person to light candles and they're still cooking on Shabbat? It's like, they just lit Shabbat candles. Can we just be excited about that? And who knows down the line what's going to happen. It may not be a few weeks. It may not be even six months. But if this person is diligently lighting candles, bringing in the Shabbat, look out. I mean, man. So, you know, doing a mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. Oh, man. You know, that's that's a beautiful concept. You know, and... You know, it also, it's a point of reflection for us. Um, because, yes, hey, hey let's, there's the positive end of it, and I love that. Your mitzvah, you, you get a mitzvah. But there's also an idea if a mitzvah gets closed in our face or not allowed access to do a good deed, you know, we shouldn't automatically jump to the gun of, oh, this is persecution or this and that, or I was wronged, or, you know, they're shutting the door of heaven on me or anything like that. It should be, hey, let me reflect. You know, because if a mitzvah is closed, because if the reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah, if the mitzvah becomes closed, is that a result of a transgression? Mm. Is that a result of me first not doing a mitzvah? You know? Wow. This is kind of a point of reflection we have to accept, because if a mitzvah gets closed in our face, then chances are that we first close the door of the mitzvah. We're neglectful in that mitzvah. And so it got closed to us. Wow. And so... Uh, yes, take it to a positive note and, and say, hey, I'm going to do a mitzvah so I can do another mitzvah and it's going to chain it again. It's like a bonus streak, <laughs> you know. Um, but also, when it gets closed on, don't just hit hit the button and say, oh, um, I'm, being, I'm being persecuted or I'm, I'm this or woe is me or woe is them for shutting the gates of heaven and closing the gates of God on us. You know, it's, it's how was I neglectful in this mitzvah earlier? in my past to the point where it's close to me now. Wow. 
You know, that's the aspect of remembering. You know, like we're called to remember Miriam. We're called to remember the golden calf. We're called to remember Amalek. Why? It's there to, to be a reflection, to remember what not to do, so we remember what to do. Amen. Wow. So, Man, you're doing good, Hussies. You're doing great. Man. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, how sometimes on Shabbat, like, Rabbi is just dropping bombs and the room is quiet. And he's like, you're, you're preaching good, Rabbi. You're preaching good, you know. <laughs> we're just silent because we're really, we're really feeling the weight of what you said. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know, like, you don't have to say that to yourself. You're 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 doing good. I'm just, it, it's heavy what you're dropping, so. <laughs> wow. And, but uh, this is, you know, this is our, our, our half Torah, you know, it, uh, just a little, little side note, you know, you know, touched on this earlier, but just kind of a, a reflection. Um, Atalia, you know, the one who did all this persecution, you know, what, what did she do? She, she got in this power and she refused her obligations as a, as a Jew, as a Jewish woman, you know, and she went and completely threw the menorah out the window no. of the light of the sages. And she said, I'm just going to have the shokhan. Mm. I'm just going to have the material blessings. I'm going to pursue that no matter the cost. Mm. I'll kill my entire family. Mm. The whole purpose of, of me, the whole reason I even have will, the whole reason I, I bring home the bread, you know, is to support my family and, and lead us and, and allow us to serve Hashem. You know, and, but she forsook that whole idea and just started pursuing the material. Pursuing the, the kingship, pursuing the power, pursuing the wealth, pursuing the honor. And what does Atalia mean? What does it mean? It's afflicted of God. Ooh. It's, it's a prof profound lesson that if we just seek after the material, and we think that's going to be uh, our, our happiness, our joy, that's going to give us you know, some satisfaction, um, some fulfillment of our purpose, then what are we doing? We are afflicting ourselves in this world and in the next. Wow. And there's, I believe, an even deeper concept in reference to Mashiach because there's these two Mashiachs, right? Two of them. And I think they're represented um, in part, you know, because both these people fell off the way um, eventually, which Mashiach did not do. But cool. you have Atonga and then you have Yehoash. Right, Yehoash is the last seed of David. Mm. He's the one that Mashiach is coming through. You know, so he would be representative of Mashiach, but the one who restores and takes on the kingdom. But then you have Atalia, who's the afflicted one, just like kind of reminiscent of Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah who's to be afflicted for mm. our sakes. Mm. The one who it pleased Hashem, according to uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, to afflict him. Why? Because it brought atonement for the entire world. Wow. For all time. For all people everywhere. <laughs> and so when the afflicted one tries to uh, just forgets their purpose and tries to expand their kingdom and their wealth and their honor, then what are you doing? You're snuffing out the kingdom of, of David. You're snuffing out the reign where he's going to come in, in peace and restore shalom to the entire world. And so this is why Yeshua, um, when they, they try to make him king, he, and you know he he'd shy away somewhere. And why why he tells people, hey, don't don't tell them 
that I did this. You know, this is why when uh, Kefa said to him, you know, trying to dissuade him from his suffering and going going to the execution's sake, this is why he said, get, get back to me. Get back from me. Wow. You know, get back from me, Satan. Because he knew his mission was not to pursue the wealth and the honor, the kingship. He knew his mission was to be afflicted so that we could bring, he could bring atonement for us. Tag. And this is what Atalia didn't, didn't get. <clears throat> Go ahead. Well, it's uh, pretty much just going along with what you said. The distinguished gentleman, Rabbi Shaul, second of Garrett to Corinth. Chapter 4, 17 and 18. This is exactly what you just said. For our light and momentary, for our light and momentary, did I say light and momentary? Mm, at least twice. Affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, I got one word for that. <laughs> What's that? One word for that. Perspective. Oh, perspective. I, I like that you emphasize light and temporary, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, momentary, yeah. Light momentary, you know. <laughs> and that's this world. That's you know, a like we, we don't remember. Exactly, exactly. You know, we don't remember when we were, what it was like to be in our mother's womb. We don't remember what it was like to be born. Right, but that was, that was, that was a portion in our lives. You know, and, and so it's going to be when we enter into, uh, finally, at the Messianic era, the resurrection of the dead. Cool. You know, when we enter the Lababa, we're not going to remember this world like that. You know? Because <laughs> um, it, it's light and temporary. And another thing you said, um, you mentioned what's unseen. Yeah. Attach yourself to, uh, can you repeat that phrase if you don't mind? So, uh, it is says that... What so we fix our eyes on what is what um, we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. That's what we fix our eyes on. It's 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 amazing because you know that's that's like the concept of memory as well. Oh. We see what's before us, right? Yeah. We, we don't see our memories. We just recall them. Oh my gosh. Right? And, and how and how do we bridge that gap between what we see and the here and now and, and what we know to be, be true? Right? Because it mentions, you know, Yohosh forgot his Torah knowledge. He, he looked at what we were seeing, these people giving an honor, and he forgot, he forgot what he, what he was taught this whole time. And how we, we bridge that gap is by remembering, this is why Shem calls us these six remembrances, by remembering in that moment and bringing it to the forefront of our minds so that 
in what we see, we interpret through the winds of, of what we know, what we, we've been engraved in. Good. Uh, the very thing that formed us, the Torah, you know, and all the teachings that we've, we've learned to remember. <laughs> so I think that's why Hashem calls us to remember. We're, we're supposed to bring that in the forefront of our minds. You know, everything we learn, we're not supposed to go off and, and forget it. That's right. You know, like, like Yehosh. And these people didn't suffer all these humiliating stories um, for nothing. And, you know, I think, you know, we we're, we're also have a tendency to, 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 to criticize people um, people we know and, and people who we read about in the scriptures. Right. But just imagine this. <clears throat> if, if you can uh, look at Yehoash's life and you can learn from that, then his, his life encoded in, in, in the Tanakh allowed you to make the right choice. And that is going to be in part some of his merit that he's going to gain back wow. in the time to come. Wow. And so literally when you, you, you take these stories and you learn from these, these people, these characters, whether they're good, whether they're bad, what you're really doing and, and you take them and, and you use them to, to do positive notes, mitzvahs, you know what I mean? Right. And we take that. What you're literally doing is covering your brother. Wow. And so if we could if we could train ourselves to when we read scriptures to to look for the the favorable side in characters of course not for certain people there's certain people who we don't want to do that <laughs> to um <laughs> but uh but certain people we could train ourselves to do that then how much easier is it going to be to train ourselves to find the people in our day-to-day lives judge them favorably come on and 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 look at look at the, the two moments and find a redeeming quality in them and allow allow that to be how we view them instead of that one negative thing they said or did or didn't say to us, you know, or whatever the situation is. And trust me, that is a very hard thing to do. You know, and that's why I believe that Shaul, again, the distinguished gentleman, writes that. We are to bear one another's burdens so that we can uphold the Torah of Mashiach. So, you know, it is it is a very like a burden is heavy, which means not one person can do it by themselves. They need some assistance. And so, uh, again, why you have a community and why you have a Rebbe, why you also have a friend and why you also make yourself into a Rebbe. You know, put your governors on. And once you start doing that, you you bear one another's burdens. And now you begin to really operate in the messianic kingdom, you know, literally yes. on earth now. So and just how are you saying the whole that is the tour of, of Mashiach? That is, you know, uh, I, I loved uh, one of Rabbi Josh's what he said at the point of uh, it was a couple years ago, if not three year, three years ago or so, uh, about a little bit of perspective and the washing of the hands. You know, the some of the, the Pharisees come up to him and says, "Why do some keywords some of yep. your Talmudim not wash their hands?" Wow! And he literally, you know, 
like one of his Talmudims, the rabbi said, was literally a zealot, mm. equivalent to what would be a, like a terrorist in today's age. Yep. And he's like, look, take this guy, for example. He said, I, I just pulled him out of the fire. Mm. And you're going to talk about washing hands right now? Let's let him get him adjusted. Right, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such such a a beautiful point to make, and it, it really goes. And there's several examples of this that Yeshua does, where he the the Torah of Mashiach is meeting people at their level. Yeah, but it's it's not meeting people at their level to stay at their level. It's meeting them at their level to lift them up to a higher level. Amen, amen. Stagnation and and decreasing in mitzvah is never the answer. Nope. Um, but even you look at the, the, the tour we have today, you know, it, it says the tour is perfect, you know, but, uh, there's no sin and death in a perfect world. So why is sin and death mentioned in the Torah? Ooh. Because, um, uh, the Hasidut and, uh, Baal Shem Tov and others, uh, comment on this idea. And that's the idea that the Torah rearranged itself to meet the needs of a world with sin and death. Mm. It came down from its lofty world, if you will, mm. and, and was, was rearranged to the point where it was not recognized. Ooh. You know, beaten to the point where we, we, where we don't recognize it Ooh. as a perfect Torah. That's why there, there could be doubts about it's the, the divinity of the Torah and the perfectness of the Torah because of this instance, possibly. Um, but it, that just goes to teach us this is a tour of Mashiach, and uh, we sh we should, you know, we always have a tendency uh, to look at ourselves as as better than other people. It's a general habit of people because we only really know our own thoughts. That's you know, so we're attached to ourselves. Oh, and you know, we need to learn how to come down from our lofty level, meet people where they're at. And and raise them up where they can, and in the process of doing that, we're going to learn that they're going to raise us up in in levels that we didn't know we were lacking in. That's right, and yeah, ultimately, it's going to bring in the messianic era. Yes, because that's that's really what Mashiach Yeshua. Well, I mean, it's not what he's waiting on, because obviously, nobody knows the time of the hour, not even him. But one of the big things that needs to coon right now is this very topic where we go alongside and lift people up. We lower ourselves, detach from ourselves, start attaching to other people because you can't build a temple with a bunch of stones that are displaced. Yeah. Which I'm talking about basis hatred. I'm talking about just wanting to uh, not judge favorably and, and to, uh, to not want to bear one another's burdens we have to do these things we need to do these things and we'll be surprised what will happen if we do all right well that's amazing i want to tag on that but uh can we tag and then go to practical takeaways maybe yes because we are actually at um we're running down on time <laughs> yeah so you want to hit at the practical takeaway note <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have a confession to make. Yes. I set the timer for 10 hours. For 10 hours? <laughs> I guess we're going to be on here for a while. So stay tuned. We're coming to a second part now. <laughs> to be continued. Oh, my gosh. The whole time I've been thinking, oh, we got eight minutes and 40 seconds. Man, we're doing real good. Real good. Well, we 
we we we really oh. went with that speed track. Okay, so Sleeka, yeah, yeah. So, all right, um, yeah. Practical takeaways after your tag. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So, no, no. Practical takeaways, and I'm gonna tag on the idea that you're talking about. Okay. Well, yeah, other than my right my timer. Well, since we have eight hours, you know. <laughs> Dude, I had one job. <laughs> okay. Practical takeaway? Okay, let me adjust myself. Okay. Well, I mean, that's really my practical takeaway is what what I just mentioned before I realized my, my failure over here. Um, just bearing one another's burdens. Um, being willing to lower ourselves and lift people up because, I mean, we see what happened in this story or in this account for a Haftarah that this great, literally, Cohen Gadol, this great high priest, uh, preserved the last of the seed of David and and brought victory to Israel and uh, saved it from one who was very, very wicked and uh, on a killing spree. And through all of that and connecting that whole aspect of lowering yourself with the aspect of remembrance, like lower yourself and, and remember, you know, and, and just... First of all, okay, <laughs> remember where you started out in this. Because none of us were super Jews when we first came into Torah, when we first met Mashiach. Uh, yeah, so let that just be humble pie for us, and may we really eat a lot of humble pie. I mean, I love that. Uh, you know, as you're talking about the Kohen Gadol who saved the line of David, you know, just this, this, the symbolism. <laughs> Mashiach ben Yosef has come, you know, the role of like this, this priest, if you will, uh, has to come and, 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 you know, risk his life to bring about the line of David, to bring about Mashiach ben David. Amen. So just kind of throw that in there while there. <laughs> um, but my, my practical takeaway is a tag on, on what you're talking about, you know, baseless hatred. You know, this is the, the reason we're in the exile in the first place. Yep. You know, and, you know, you, you've mentioned this concept before of, let's take the reverse of that, to do a, a baseless love. Yes, I mean. How do we do that? How? Tell us. And I, I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just said I had the answer. I just, I just posed the oh, question. Oh, my word. <laughs> no, um, I, don't, I don't have all the, all the answers uh, for that. I think that's a pretty deep question. Yeah. That's beyond. But I, I do have one suggestion. Come on. Um, and that is based on the concept of you can. It mentions this and uh, Tanya and, and and other sources about uh, just our, our love for God is dependent on how much we know of God. Ooh. And it's it's the same for for people as well. This is like I think it's a, a universal concept that applies to just about anything. Very general concept. That uh, the more we, we, we know something, the more we're capable of loving it. And wow. really, we only know our, our we know ourselves the most, right? Yep. We don't we can't read each other's thoughts. I mean, I think that's a good thing in most cases for Come most on. people. Come <laughs> on. You know, we don't know everything that everyone's been through in their past, what they're going through, what they will go through. Uh, we don't know all the details of their lives. And the workings of their mind, all their actions, that's 
it's beyond us. That's that's for Shem. We really only know ourselves. So how can we? You know, so that's why we well, that's why we have as humans have a tendency to love ourselves and feed ourselves and think that we're the best, you know, because we know ourselves more than we know anything else. Anybody else? Do you realize that's the second greatest commandment? What's that? The love your neighbor like you love yourself. Yes, that's the key. Oh, right? my word. Yourself. Love the neighbor as you love yourself. Right? There's a connection that's made. All right? It, 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 it's this idea that you have to find a way to connect part of you in your neighbor. Oh. Because you can only, you can really only love yourself because you really only know yourself. Mm. So the way to love your neighbor is to invest a piece of yourself in them, a piece of your time, a piece of your testimony, a piece of your perspective, a piece of your your your, your Torah, your struggles, mm. uh, a, a simple conversation, a simple smile, a simple good deed. Wow. And when you do that, your words are now in that person. Come Some on. of your memories are now shared in that person. There's a little part of you in them that you can now recognize, that you can now associate with. And therefore, you're capable of, of relating to that person and knowing that person and loving that person to a greater extent. Oh, man. And so I guess the practical takeaway for that is to invest in people. And it doesn't mean, you know, make, make everybody your best friend and tell everybody your whole story. Um, you know, you, you got to... You gotta, uh, be wise and discerning with that but Amen. you know you can't invest a smile you can't invest a how are you you can't invest i'm gonna hold this door open for you yes you i'm gonna can. ask you how your day was you know um i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to you i'm gonna sit by you or whatever or the case maybe you you can always invest something and take note of how people respond to that because that'll also help you get to know that person and find a way to relate to them because yes. if you if you ask someone, you know, hey, how was your day? And you see how they talk about their day. Are they being very optimistic? Or are they being very pessimistic? And that'll help you know, like, oh, this is an optimist person I'm dealing with. Like, you know, like looking for the positives and everything. So whenever you're talking about stuff, you'll be able to see that. Or if you notice it's very pessimistic, now you're like, oh, okay, so... I can come from a perspective of being more gracious towards this person because chances are they're seeing things from a negative light. And so what, what can I do to really be a positive influence and know yes. that it'll be a challenge because if you're noticing all the negativity, then you, first of all, cannot confront them on that because they're having to work through that with a shim. But you can be more understanding and more gracious to go, okay, I know where this person is coming from, which is very yeah. helpful. <laughs> that's true. So that's one example. But anyway. Like the whole, I love that you brought that up. And it's that whole idea of also, um, if you feel like someone's too much of a burden to deal with, well, just remember and eat humble pie because you've been in a situation where mm. you've had a hard time and you've been negative. And you needed someone to pour life into you. That's right. And so it comes back also to this idea of remembering. Remembering half of these these good things, how you're attached to the shim, your successes oh, in life. And also remembering 
the, the failures, the shortcomings you have in life, the six remembrances, three good, three bad, right? Wow. Keep those scales balanced. That, that way, when you feel um, you're kind of leaning to being being arrogant and prideful, remember a time that, hey, you, you may have failed. Yeah. You feel like you're, you're feeling down, despairing and all that. Remember a time when, when you've succeeded. Mm. You know, take, take count of, of your history. Um, and, and all this is, is going to give us a, a full expression of our identity. And when we're attached to our identity, then we are uh, untouchable. Amen. Oh, the greatest memory and utilizing it in, in the right way is, is one of the greatest weapons against evil, period. Yista Bak Shemo Hashem. All right, Hasis. Well, Toda Rabbah, you didn't quite make it 10 hours, but you know, I'll forgive you for that. <laughs> Maybe that'll be safe for uh, Shavuot or something. Cool. <laughs> well, what do we know? What do we know? Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam. Zurko Haolamim. Zadik Beko Hadorot. Ha'el ha'ne'eman ha'omer ve'oseh ha'mdaber umkayem shekol devarav emet vazerek. Ne'eman atahu Adonai Eloheinu ve'ne'emanim devareka ve'davar echad midvareka achor lo yashuv recham ki el melek ne'eman ve'rakaman atah. Baruch Ata Adonai, Ha'el Hane'eman, Bekol Devarav, Biskut Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Well, Todah Rabbah, everyone, for joining us. This is Shomer and Chasis sending you a Shavuot Tov and a blessings over your Shabbat. Amen. Amen. Shalom. Shalom.